Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. E-S-N-Y. So, so are we excited for Knicks Cavs as well? Looking forward to it for sure. I mean, yeah. we'll see how Randall is, but it should be a good series either way. He's practicing. And uh, Alec, are you prepared for the Rangers' eventual first round elimination? Oh, you don't put that evil on us. It's <laughs> the Devils. You take okay. that back. Yeah. Oh come on! You know what's going to happen, and they're they're going to like it's going to be 2012 all over again. Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> The fucking Devils fans are going to come out of the woodwork, and I, I I won't be able to take it. What? What? All nine of them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, how's it going, guys? It is Bleacher Bleacher Creatures episode one fifty eight, brought to you as always by Excel Media, Crossing Broad, Elite Sports NY, Warwick Gaming, and as always Rivercrest NYC. We got Danny Small back on the show. What's going on, man? Nothing much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh... Long, long awaited. I know Josh and I have had uh, plenty of debates in the Slack chat and on Twitter about uh, about yeah, Yankees and Otani and basically everything in between. All right. Well, as we're we're out now recording right as the Yankees finish up a dominant eleven to two win over the Cleveland Guardians, star of the show today, apart from Garrett Cole, was once again Franchi Cordero. And Chris Kirshner at the Athletic kind of saying the quiet part out loud. Like, if Franchi Cordero keeps hitting once Harrison Bader comes back, Brian Cashman has to make a decision about Aaron Hicks. Now, the smart thing to do would be, Danny's going to love this part, just lose Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. We know Brian Cashman. That's not going to happen. It's probably going to be Cordero or Willie Calhoun who gets sent down somewhere. I, I don't know, like... If it's me, I'm, I cut Hicks and I eat the money. That's it. Just just cut your laws and say it didn't work out. Let him go play somewhere else. But they're not going to do that. It's annoying. Yeah, I mean, we've we've harped about this, you know, constantly. Um, I personally believe that the situation will take care of itself because it seems like in these kinds of things, it always does. When one guy comes back, maybe another guy goes on the IL. Um, and I think at this point, you know, Hicks had two hits. He looked like a halfway decent ball player tonight. Um, actually got lift on the ball. Yeah. Right. And he actually, you know, got a little something behind it. Um, you know, we are always critical of Cashman not making what seems like the obvious move, um, I'm actually going to go against you, Josh. I'm going to say that if everything is as it's been going for the last week and Franchi Cordero is still hitting when Bader comes back, I think IKF will be the odd man out. Really? Yeah. Danny, Danny, what do you think here? I mean, 
I like I have IKF like PTSD, so I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I mean, Josh, Josh knows I was like part of me was worried that he was going to be starting at shortstop uh, yeah. to start the year. But um, to me, yeah, it feels like it feels like IKF could definitely be that guy. I mean, he he started to play center field and he actually looks decent out there. Like he hasn't. Yeah, he's he hasn't not made, terrible. Yeah, he hasn't made any, you know, he hasn't made any terrible plays. But he's not hitting, and you know he's a contact guy, which is what everyone says is you know his upside contact speed, especially with the no shift. But it's not working out early on. He no. doesn't really look like he's going to be playing too much infield. I mean, he only got to start at third base because they're a little banged up in the infield. And he looked to... awful at third base yesterday. Bro. Yeah, that's. I mean, I know a couple of those plays were tough plays, but you would expect whether it's Lemayhu or Donaldson or Cabrera, you would expect any of those other guys to have given a better effort on those so so far ikf's not making contact he's not hitting with runners in scoring position and really the only place you can play him and feel pretty comfortable is center field which you have judge baders coming back it doesn't really seem like there's a fit for ikf here which brings us back to why did they extend him the contract in the first place in the offseason uh but that's you know that's more i think cashman wasn't ready to give up on on the trade yet. I think he also had to figure that they knew the shift ban was coming this season mm-hmm. along with the pitch clock. They said, let's see how he does with the new rules. He also added some muscle in the offseason to try and make more hard contact, but he's not making hard contact. Like, ugh, God, there, there was one at bat either yesterday or in the Baltimore series where there was a rally going on. He swings at the first pitch right into a double play. I think yeah. that was yesterday because I messaged you about that. Oh yeah, that's right. That was um, Cordero had to walk right before that, I believe, and then yeah, you're right. First pitch, ground ball, double play. Yeah, and I think like that's the biggest frustration for you know for me is I'd understand or I'd have a little bit more patience if he was putting good swings on the ball and it just wasn't falling. But I, I mean, I feel like there's been too many times where I've messaged you, Josh, in our group chat and just been like. What the fuck was that from IKF? Like, what was the approach there? What was what was he thinking? You know, especially yesterday. So you're, I think they were down by one, maybe two at that point. And it's just, yeah, you just saw Cordero work a walk, and you swing first pitch, and it's a tailor made, I think four six three double play. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the game plan there? Because whatever it was, just did not work. And I think there's one too many times where that happens with a guy like IKF, and it's also happened in the past with Hicks. That's yeah. where my biggest frustration with players like that come from. It's not so much as the production side because, hey, it's baseball. Sometimes you're not going to get the production that we all want. Uh, but, you know, if you're not making the right decisions, then that's that's the bigger concern. And then just, just to build off of that, like, he's not a good base runner either. He's fast. He's athletic. You see it when he's in center field. Um, he can move, he can, he can track down balls, but he's not smart on the bases either, which if you're going to be a fringe guy, who's going to be a utility guy with that speed, you know, he gets thrown out on the base paths the other day. Um, you know, he just, like you said, he has, you know, his approach at the plate is just not great. Just seems like he's not, I mean, and this will sound funny coming from me. He's not a completely hopeless player. Cause he does have some tools there. He does have some things that could work for a team, but it seems like at this point, he's just, he does, there's no future for him in New York, especially with the emergence of a guy like Oswaldo. 
who can play every position in the field at above average level. And then also is showing something at the plate. He switch hits just doesn't, to me, doesn't seem like there's really much of a spot on the team for IKF. And I get that, you know, Hicks is another guy who uh, is on the chopping block, so to speak. But I think right now, you know, with kind of the roster crunch coming up, I think there's one guy who makes the most sense to, to move on from. I mean, there, there's certainly time to think about, like Alex said, this could take, uh, take care of itself. Mm-hmm just as somebody getting hurt because I think sure. the last update from Boone today, I think it was on, uh, on talking Yanks, uh, Bader, he's pretty much ripping and gripping, uh, ready to go at batting practice. Uh, he's going full force. I think now they're hoping to get him into some rehab games either next week or into this week. Uh, so he's, he's gearing toward a return at the end of the month, like barring a setback, like mm-hmm. knock on, knock on my, like that, my desk crappy wood. Um, but yeah, like when the roster crunch comes up, it might be a case with with Aaron Hicks where they either talk a buyout or they they just send him home until until they find somewhere to, somewhere for him to go. Like, I don't know. There's probably some administrative legalese where they can probably do that because like at the, at this rate, he's just going to become another Joey Gallo, only without the home run upside. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I, like, look, we we've gotten off to the season at a seven and four start, which I think if the Rays weren't ten and zero or oh, like, oh okay, quick um, can, sorry to interrupt, Doug. Can we just all agree? Fuck the Rays. Yeah. I yes. Mean, <laughs> agreed. Yes. Yeah. And, like, oh, like I just lost so much respect for Jeff Pass because he's like, no, no. I know that they're playing a really bad team. I know it's an easy start to the schedule, but the Rays are really, really good. Jeff, like, okay. If anything, this is a testament to how good a manager Kevin Cash is. Mm-hmm. I, I even said this in ESNY's NLB preview. Like, take Kevin Cash out of the picture. These Rays are not a consistent playoff team. They're just not. He is. He's going to be a Hall of Fame manager, probably win a World Series, managing another team at some point in his career. But to say that, oh, like, I don't know, to qualify that a team is good by saying, oh, but I know that they're playing some of the worst teams, that's... Okay, they played Oakland. They played Detroit. Um, they they're currently playing Boston, and prior to that, they were playing the Nationals. Nationals Na- were Na- the first series of the year, I think. No, yeah. national. Uh, yeah, uh, first or second. Yeah. Re- re- regardless, you got the Nationals, the A's, and the Tigers. Those are three of the worst teams in the league. Two of which are actively tanking. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox are kind of in the same position, and they also just lost their best hitter, Adam Duvall, who, if we're being honest, great hot start, but he's overachieving. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, be- those are all teams that have like very poor pitching, too. Like, yeah. But be- anyway. Yeah. And because the Rays have been in the World Series or been big contenders in the last five years, they get all the airtime, and it's, oh my God, I hate this. I was, t- I was texting James Kelly about this earlier. And it was either him or somebody else. And the general conversation was, so fuck the Rays, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck the Rays. You know, yeah. I, I will I will throw a bone their way, though. Going, no, don't, uh-uh. I'm sorry, no. but, like, going 11-0 is a very difficult thing to do, so they do deserve that credit. Because can we sit here and say, seriously, if the Yankees had that schedule, would they be able to go 11-0? I don't think so which is going to lead to the point that we were working on before that little tangent. Um, 
with the whole like Aaron Hicks and, and, and IKF and figuring out what to do with those kinds of players, there's still a number of holes on this team offensively in that lineup that need to be addressed sooner rather than later, because, you know, we can't hope to, you know, for Aaron judge to have another 60 home run season. And while we do expect to bounce back a guy like DJ LeMahieu, we need more depth. We need more ball players because, you know, in the moment we got a rookie who's figuring out offensively. I know I think he's had a lot better at bats over recent days, honestly, since yeah. that triple he hit. Um, he, he's making better contact. He's driving the ball a little bit better. I think, you know, if he was in Yankee Stadium, he probably would have one or two home runs already. Yeah. Um, that 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 triple is a home run in the short porch of Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And then I think he, I think he barreled something up against Bieber last night. Yeah, it was a uh-huh. it was a it was a fly out to left field, but he made pretty good contact on yeah. it. So, you know, while he's figuring it out, and we've all seen the numbers of guys who are at his age who struggle in that first month or two, like you know Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman, the number one and number yeah. two rookie of the year in voting last year. Um, but when you got guys like a Donaldson who struggled out of the gate before getting hurt, and you got guys like IKF, and you got guys like Hicks. That bottom half of the lineup, you know, prior to the revelation of Franchi Cordero, mm-hmm. was a bit of an issue, and so they, the Yankees need to continue to address that. There well, are yeah. definitely there are definitely some days there. Uh, I think you know yesterday in particular, where you look at the top of the lineup and you see Lemayhu, Judge, you know Rizzo, Torres, Stan, you see those guys up there. And obviously, you know for the most part what those guys are going to give you. But then that, you know, five through nine or six through nine, there are some days where it looks a little, little wonky with yeah. Billy Calhoun. Um, you know, I, I don't have too many bad things to say about Trevino, but he's not going to give you a ton of offense. He's obviously right. out there for his defense. So when Volpe obviously is starting slow too, it is that bottom half of the lineup is a little, uh, little shaky. So. Obviously, yeah, definitely have definitely have room room to improve there. But again, uh, like like we said about the Rays, like there's a lot of time to catch them. They're not going to yeah. win 162 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's that's just uh, they're going to come back down to earth at some point. Also on Vol- on Volpe, this is uh, Matt Musico sent me this uh, earlier tonight. These are his monthly splits over his career. So 2021, this is his average in his OPS at low and high A. April and May hit 239 with a 796 OPS. June to September, he hit 309 with a 1.125 uh, OPS. Uh, last season, uh, in April and May, this is across double and triple A. Uh, April and May hit 203. June to September, uh, hit 268 with an 853 OPS. So he could just be have marked a share of disease and got off to a slow start. Also, quick update. Um Glaber tweaked his right hip flexor groin area. No test scheduled. Boone does not sound worried. Okay, great. <laughs> oh, oh, come on! You're, oh, yeah, you're mad at Glaber again? No, I'm just mad that this team can't fucking stay healthy. That there's oh. that we're two weeks into the season and all we're hearing is this guy tweaked this, this guy tweaked that. I mean, I thought yeah, we were. Open I'm sorry. Start. Aren't you an ex catcher who complains about his knees hurting? No, actually, I don't. I never complain about my knees hurting because my knees don't hurt that bad. <laughs> oh well, excuse me. <laughs> me, I, me. I gotta say, my I back. Do. I'll go on okay. about back. <laughs> yeah, back and neck. Oh god, driving a two-year-old. I was gonna say, I still have, I still have hip flexor issues every once in a while from uh, 
old high school injuries. That was like the one, the one injury that I ever had uh, playing sports growing up was like a sore hip flexor. Every you, once you, in a while. Don't lie. You got it playing pickleball. No, swear to I definitely <laughs> did not get it playing pickleball. I think it was uh, a soccer injury that led into basketball season, if I remember correctly. But every once in a while, I'll take, I'll be like running or playing basketball, take a step and I'll just feel that little twinge. Alec, what's your take on pickleball again? Like, do you, you're from Florida. That's popular down there. It wasn't that popular when I like was living in Florida and definitely has grown in popularity since I moved. I remember playing it a couple times in like high school gym class mm-hmm. and I had a blast. That, that That's exactly it. It is a high school gym game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, just a worse version of tennis. But yeah. yeah. And, and tennis is boring as it is. It's like that. It's like that awkward middle for child me at least. Between, <laughs> yeah. The awkward middle child between tennis and ping pong. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like if you mix the two. Uh, Alec, I bet, I bet your dad plays a ton of pickleball on the weekend. No, no, no. No, he hasn't done anything since he was in beer league hockey like ten years ago. <laughs> beer league hockey, and good lord. <laughs> Okay, yeah, like last thing I'll say, I'll say this before before we move on. I went to my my parents are obsessed with tennis. And I get I go home fairly recently just to like have dinner with my folks. My little brother's there, turns on the tennis channel, there's pickleball happening there, and there's like tennis pros playing pickleball with just average Joes. It was an embarrassment. Absolute embarrassment. Yeah, I could see that. It's definitely uh it's definitely a game that's accessible to everyone, but uh, yeah, if you're a tennis pro, you might you're probably you're going to be a little bit better than the average Joe. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, uh, moving on from terrible lounge sports, uh, let's talk about this pitching staff. I know why he's still pitching. Is Domingo Herman ever going to go away? Like dead serious. <laughs> no, we're we're. we're we are stuck in a terrible, toxic, abusive relationship with Domingo Herman. And yes, I'm seriously making that joke about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I I mean, it, it, of, of course, this year, it's like the early injuries have, uh, you know, launched him into the rotation, which right. I like if he's your fifth starter for a little while, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. You could be in worse positions, but he just seems like at least for the Yankees at this point, he's his ceiling or base what you want him to do is just kind of be in that long man out of the pen, if anything, because he, you know, he's been given so many chances over the years and he'll have yeah. a flash here and there, but you know, I feel like most Yankee fans are, are pretty much over him. Yeah. Like people don't realize just how much of a mirage 2019 was. I actually, I looked at the numbers about this last night. He had a 4.03 ERA uh, with a 4.72 FIP and yeah, he had 18 wins. I'm pretty sure that led out of the American League or the majors. But, hey, guess what? The Yankees averaged, I think, four or five runs a game when he was pitching. And he doesn't have enough velocity to be an overpowering strikeout pitcher. He does not have consistent enough breaking pitches to induce enough soft contact or otherwise keep the ball in the zone. Like, if his, if his curveball is working, particularly on one night, he could rack up a bunch of strikeouts like he did against the Phillies. But, I don't know, five walks last night, that, that's uncharacteristic for him, but it's also just a testament as to how far his fall from grace has been. And it, maybe he's like a sixth starter. Maybe he can be like a good sixth or seventh inning relief guy. But 
I don't know. Like the fact that he's still in the Yankees, like I get that he's filling in until like, I, I don't know, Rodon or Severino comes back, whoever comes first. It's just, every, it's becoming more and more frustrating to watch him take the ball every fifth day because you know that you just, you just hope that you're going to score a bunch of runs in the hurry and he just kind of coasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's like my biggest frustration with him. It's just, he doesn't seem like a particularly smart pitcher, if that makes sense, when the ability to make, you know, his own adjustments to get back on track, you know, when he was committing all those walks, there was all the, you know, non-competitive pitches that kept building up. And then, you know, he gets frustrated that he gets pulled in what, the fourth inning, fifth inning? Uh, Yeah, he, he lasted like one or two batters into the fourth inning. Yeah, and, you know, he's getting frustrated. He's got the show of frustration. It's like, dude, like, you just got to be better, you know? Um, But then you look at the flip side. It's like, then you look at the first two starts that, you know, Johnny Brito had, and you see the a completely, you know, opposite way of a young guy figuring it out. Like, that second start for Brito against the Orioles, it was obvious that his changeup wasn't as effective as it had been in the first. Yeah, so he switched to the curveball. He switched to the curveball and he started making the competitive pitches and kept relying on soft contact. So Domingo Herman, you know, you want to see him make that the take the next adjustment and the next step in becoming a more complete pitcher. Where, as we've said thousands and thousands of times already, you know, what Mike Messina would say: 10 starts you have your stuff, 10 starts you don't have your stuff, and the other 10 you got to figure it out as you go along. And right now, Herman just has not figured out middle 10 starts of the season, which is when shit's not working, you got to figure it out and just get focus on one out at a time. We saw a little bit of that from Cole today in the beginning and he figured it out to where he was cruising by the end of it. He's just not getting that from Herman. And I don't know if we ever will. Now to be fair, think- go, go ahead, Danny. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, do you guys think the pitch clock is hurting him? in that like regard of like kind of like pitching through i mean i know you could you could look back to his previous seasons and it you know it's kind of the same story but do you think the pitch clock for maybe guys like that it makes it a little tougher because you know you don't have that that extra time to you know step out step off the mound gather yourself you know maybe run through cycle through some pit you know some uh options with trevino like he doesn't he doesn't have that time to think and I guess you could look at it both ways. It would either be good for a pitcher because they don't have the time to think they can just get on the mound and go. But it seems like um, it could also be a case of, you know, he doesn't have the time to, you know, really relax and, you know, think through exactly what he needs to do. Do you think, you know, pitch clock might have any effect on that? Or am I overthinking that? Um, certainly certainly could. Yeah, it certainly could. I think that could create – I think the problem that's created from there is a problem that probably existed with him pre-pitch clock, and that would be the inability to slow the game down naturally, right? Not letting the moment or the pitch get ahead of him and, and you know, controlling himself, controlling his emotions, keeping his emotions in check to just focus on the next pitch and executing it in the best way he can. So maybe the – use of the pitch clock has now, you know, made it more, I guess, influential. I can't think of the word right now, Um, but like has more of an impact on him on a pitch by pitch basis. But again, that kind of, for me is like, well, that's where you want to see him make the next step. 
is, you know, he's had a number of years now in the major leagues or in major league baseball as both an effective starter and a so-so starter. You would want him to figure out the best way of, hey, slow the game down, focus pitch to pitch. And if you haven't done it by this point, well, now you really have to because of the pitch clock. So I do think there might be something there, Danny. Um, You know, it's just a question of, you know, how much of it is affecting him. Yeah, I mean, and similarly, you got to wonder if that's affecting Clark Schmidt just because now now granted uh, his first start, uh, he tired himself out in the second inning. His second start, the umpire took away the lower half of the strike zone from the very beginning. So he was naturally leaving balls up. But at the same time, lefties are batting 421 off of him compared to 182. Alec, do you think he's having the same problem with the pitch clock that he can't slow the game down when the game's coming a little too fast for him? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it does seem obvious with him. He tries to do too much, and that's yeah. when it falls apart. So, you know, he's he's younger. His experience is a lot more limited than Herman's. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Clark Schmidt, I, I mean, I'll say this, he's, he might wind up being a textbook example of how losing the 2020 minor league system really affected his development. Because yeah. like pr- prior to that, there was the Yankees were saying, oh, this guy is maybe like a number two and number three starter. I watch him pitch now and I think, OK, he's maybe a seventh inning relief guy. Yeah. Because like yeah. The, I'm, I'm OK with with. Not to cut you off, I'm just going to say I'm okay to be a little patient with him as a starter right now, yeah. just where they are with injuries. Um, you know, Herman, we've seen years and years of him, so we kind of know what he is at this point. Schmidt, sure. like you said, if he can start to get those lefties out a little bit, there might be, you know, there might be a path to him being a back-end starter in this group. Yeah. But also, like you said, we've seen him be, be somewhat effective in that, you know, seventh inning role, kind of that, uh, you know, that – that uh guy you can kind of put in maybe get a couple innings out of him in the middle of the game we've seen him have some success there so i think i want to ride him out and see how he does in the rotation but that's not a terrible backup plan if you have to revert to that especially when you have a guy like burrito coming up and yeah you know instant instant success in his first couple starts uh that gives you a little leeway to kind of figure out what's going on with schmidt yeah, I mean, Brito really handled himself well against the Orioles uh, last week, and just like I've I've said several times, the Orioles last year, while they weren't a playoff team, like I think this was at a game I went to with a friend. I said to him, like, pay attention. If they see a ball up in the strike zone, they're swinging at it, and they they don't care like what the result is. They're just that's their approach. So in they the can mean, hit. they can hit, yeah, and they can hit hard. So for him to pretty much get out of that rough first inning, kind of reclaim control of the zone. And then as Alex said, get that curveball working to go into <clears throat> get get into the inducing soft contact. Obviously they want to cap his innings a little bit since uh he's younger. Montas is probably going to be back at or about August 1st as well. Uh but at the same time like Clark Schmidt like Brito and this goes for Domingo Herman too, even though it's not going to happen on his end. Clark Schmidt needs to learn, okay, like this is the kind of pitcher I am. How do I adjust on the fly instead of just trying to be the dominant guy who gets out? It's like he's he's trying so hard to be an ace when he is a mid-rotation guy. He's maybe an ace on a small market team, 
Yeah, it's just knowing your role and understanding, you know, yeah, perform to the best of your ability in that role. One thing I do like about Clark Schmidt, and this has nothing to do with baseball, um, and I, f- I forget where I saw it, but some Garrett Cole called him a dog. Oh like, yeah, they were like, oh, like because he's you know like a tough guy, you know, he, you know he's got that dog in him. He's like, no, no, he like actually barks like a dog. That's why yeah. he's a dog. I was like, oh, you know what? I was like, he's not pitching well, but I, I kind of like that, you know. <laughs> Bark for Clark. Garrett Cole is like he's displayed a different side of himself this season. He's definitely loosened up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like we definitely we all kind of goof on Garrett Cole as having a bit of a Kermit the Frog voice, being kind of robotic, especially when it comes to talking about pitching. But then you go to the Baltimore series, there's a baby in one of the first few rows mm-hmm. wearing Yankee stuff, and he's playing peekaboo from the dugout. And now he shoves against the Indians tonight. I love that video of him doing his nester. That, yeah, I was just about to say that. That was great. That, that was that was spot on and hilarious. Yeah, he had he actually he had it down pat. Everyone else had, you know, had a couple good efforts in there and whatnot, but Cole, you could tell Cole's been working on that one. Yeah. It just goes to show, like, even because in fairness to Domingo Herman, he was not the reason the Yankees lost last night. He was not. They were like Ian Hamilton had some untimely walks in the later innings. There were wasted uh, opportunities at the plate. Um, this pitching staff is looking pretty good, and they still haven't seen Carlos Rodon or Luis Severino yet. That that's like actually part of the, my frustration with so far with their losses is every single loss they've had the ability to win. Right, but at the same time, like two years ago, they they go down, let's say one two nothing in the second inning, and it's like, oh, the game's over. Yeah, yeah, and you know there was the loss against the the Giants where Stanton hits into the game ending double play. Right, and then there's like loss against Baltimore, and then and whoever, and it's just like one or two runs or one like one hit here, and the game is completely different. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, like credit does have to go to the pitching staff. Both, you know, the starting staff and the bullpen is they're keeping their offense in it for sure. They don't let it balloon and snowball into something that is they just can't handle. Yeah, it hasn't hasn't been perfect from the pitching staff, but like you guys said, they're they're giving them a chance to win. And for me, the most frustrating losses aren't where they get you know overpowered and team scores ten runs and runs them out of the the uh, the ballpark. The most frustrating losses are like the ones to the Indians on, or excuse me, the Guardians on Monday, where you know that's bone- it. Danny's canceled. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> but you know, bonehead bonehead base running mistakes. You know, yeah. misplaying balls in the field, walking guys, uh, like things like that. That's those are the losses that really get to me. Uh, and you know Josh knows because I'll I'll shoot him a message on Slack or something and basically just you know bad baseball that like a lot of that, yeah. that's all I'll say just because you you know you're watching this guys you know not not thinking things through missing you know easy double play balls running themselves into outs on the bases that yeah. to me are the ones where if you really want to be an elite elite team that can win a World Series you got to clean that stuff up now yeah well, you really not do. now but you know, regular season, you can't, you can't let things like that linger for, you know, months on end. Danny, you and I are similar with that. (laughs) That that, drives me insane. I can live with, I can live with a team, you know, 10, 10 hits, you know, eight extra base hits, 15. Like I could live with a loss like that. Cause it's like, you know what, that team, they came to play today. They had to, they had a beat on our guy. It is what it is. 
But when you just give games away, that that makes me pull my hair out. Yeah, I mean, like that that one loss in Baltimore definitely had that kind of feel to it because you, you later found out it's because Loisaga was hurt. Mm-hmm. So, and then Jimmy Cordero, who certainly not terrible, but like nobody was having a good game on the mound that day. Um, but it, it's like I say in my analysis group chat all the time, and I one of my high school coaches said this all the time. He's like, I don't care if we lose, so long as we put up a fight. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's kind of like pro wrestling. It's like yeah, the cha- the champion is the bad guy, and he still wins, but every so often he still gets his ass kicked a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more each time. So that way, when he finally does go down, it's like it's this epic moment. And with the Yankees, it's still relatively early in the season, but now they're at a part of the schedule, especially in April, because they got the Twins next of all teams. So they should like be keeping a good pace in the AL East for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Stack up series wins after series wins. Even if you're not getting the sweeps, you're not undefeated like the Rays. If you win two out of three, you're you're going to be in good shape come August and September. Yeah, Michael K said on a broadcast recently, he's like, just winning these series, that's the key to winning lots of games. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Like, now, like, I actually wanted to ask you guys, because I kind of keep reminding myself that – you know, there's the expanded playoffs. It it doesn't take as much to get in. Do you do you give the Yankees a little bit of grace, or is it still very much you got to win the division? I think it's still very much you got to win the division, just because like the the way the AL East is set up go like going into the season, it's the Yankees to lose. Like we know the Blue Jays, not a great team. They they can hit. That's about it. Uh, the Orioles, they they got talent on both sides, but there's no leadership. And the Rays are the Rays, and the Red Sox are the Red Sox. Uh, but now, like especially with the Astros off to a slowish start, again, it's still early, but the Yankees' goal from the get-go should always be win the division and hopefully get that by. Mm-hmm. Just because like you don't want to have to worry about going on a Phillies-like run from the wild card just to win a world series, you know, I think, I think I would, I would give him a little more grace than, and I think Josh is here just because they're, they are in a tough division. Um, at least so far, it looks like with the Rays, you know, the blue Jays can play a little bit. The Orioles obviously are an improving team and the Red Sox, the Red Sox, you know, as, as much as we can, you know, clown on them for letting Bogarts go and some of the moves they've made, like they they're not they're not the Tigers they're not the A's you know they're not the Nats they're not one of these teams who just completely throwing in the towel. No, like if if they steal their win from the Yankees, it's going to be because they caught us on a bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and like you said though, the Phillies like they showed it's like it's possible to make that run all the way through. Obviously, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball a little bit with, um. Which McCall with you know having to burn your starters those first few games, yeah. But I think if they're healthy and the rotation is healthy going into that, I think they can overcome that because you have Cole obviously early on. I would assume you'd have Rodon would be your number two, uh, then Nestor yeah. and Sevy. If that's your four, you I would feel pretty good about Nestor or Sevy starting um, against another team's ace in the ALDS. Obviously, it wouldn't be ideal, but. You know, that's one way to kind of 
kind of almost flip things in your favor. If you can steal, steal that first win against them, then you have Cole coming back around. Uh, it almost, you take a disadvantage and turn it into an advantage like the Phillies did last year. But again, you know, in a perfect world, you win the division, you get that buy and you, you know, you rest your guys, but I could definitely see the Yankees getting hot at the right time, which, you know, has always been their problem in recent years. They make the postseason and then, you know, they just clam up against the Astros or, you know, the Rays or whoever it may be. Well, I think, sorry to uh, jump in there, Josh, but it actually does make you wonder if Cashman, went out to get Rodon with that in mind. Mm-hmm. He he absolutely yeah. did. Here. You, you like, did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pull up the numbers. Go ahead. Well, because like, you know, I think we all can agree when healthy Severino can be considered an ace in, in this league, regardless of what team he's on. When he's healthy and he's going, he is, he has ace stuff. So as you said there, Danny, you know, you, you play kind of the number, the games there with the wild card and, Hey, you throw Severino or, or Rodon, and then you go with Cole. You know that that is a weapon that the Yankees have. So I think you know. I know I posed the question: Do you give them a little bit more grace, or do you still um, shoot for the division? I think I'm gonna. I think I side with Danny on this. Where you know I I I can give them a little bit more grace period, or you know forgiveness if they don't win the division, because you know it. Maybe it's because I have been living in Philly for the last number of years and watching <laughs> that run that the Phillies made last season be so extraordinary that, hey, yeah, all you need is just get in. And at that point, you know, it's anyone's ball game. So and the way the way the pitching staff is set up, you know, I think handling a three game wild card is a lot more manageable. Just to answer a question about how good Carlos Rodon is against the Astros. He has made seven starts in his career against the Astros. He is 2-0 with a 1.55 ERA. And at Minute Maid Park, he has made three starts there and posted a 1.86 ERA. So Brian Cashman absolutely had the Astros in mind when he picked him up. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You need someone to get Alvarez out, even though he seems unfazed, whether it's whether it's mm-hmm. a righty or lefty. So, yeah, he's so he's unfairly good. That guy. Yeah. Uh, there was something else that we were we were just talking about that I want to touch on. Oh yeah. Um. Also with the playoffs, though, you have to figure the new rules are also going to favor not just the Yankees but hitters across the board because now with no shifting, the Yankees can steal those hits up the middle through the holes in the infield, it, there isn't someone t- playing right behind second base automatically waiting to field that ground ball or play short center field like it would in softball. So I don't know, maybe that maybe that helps them get out of their heads like they were in the in the ALCS instead of just trying to mash the ball left and right all the time. They actually try to do what they did against Cleveland today. Draw the walk, get the single, get the double, have someone then have someone clear the bases with the home run. Then start the process all over again. Just keep that line moving. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have those pieces in place with DJ and, you know, Glaber is out there to personally prove me wrong. So I will gladly say Glaber, keep doing it. Um, yeah. And then, you know, hopefully Volpe figures it out and, you know, he'll be another piece that will have that, you know, high contact, uh, 
ability. And yeah, then you got the then you got Rizzo, you got Stanton, you got Judge. They're gonna do their thing. They're the big boppers. So um it is nice. Maybe to find- Donaldson comes back on a hot streak. Yeah, we'll see. Not holding <laughs> my breath. No, me neither. <laughs> I, you know, I, I thought those mechanical changes were going to be like we're going to work for him, but then the season starts and he looks the same. So, you know, who knows at this point? Uh, got it. Uh, so he uh went home for Easter because I follow his fiance on Instagram. He was wearing uh, here. Hold on, I'm going to pull this up. He's got this absolutely disgusting dad sweater on. <laughs> it's like. I don't know. It's kind of like the dude from Big Lebowski meets Bill Cosby. It's really bad. Here, oh, I'm gonna. God. Here, hold on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna show it. No, that is not what I wanted to push. Stop. Okay. Uh, yeah, there it is. Look at that. Oh yeah. That that is a tragic sweater. It's <laughs> something you can only wear on a holiday. I think. Yeah. Sorry, Brianna. Oh, um, oh, guys, he's got like those like those like maroon shoes too. Is he wearing socks? I can't see. Uh, I hope he is for his sake. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> so, a big sorry, deal, apparently. With sorry, those, Brianna. Those kind of if, you li- if you listen, to, if you listen to this, no, I think they're like fancy sneakers. Okay, like, gotcha, like gotcha. those dress sneakers that Gratch was talking about <laughs> the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just had a big shoe shoe conversation recently. Oh uh, yeah, Alec. Where, what's what's your way in on the on the dress shoe debate? Where are you on team loafers or team lace dress shoes? Uh, I'm more of a lace. Kind of dude. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they hurt yeah, my I'm feet. A lace, lace and socks. I like. I can't wear dress shoes without socks. It's, you yeah. gotta have some kind of dress dress socks on. Yeah. Like I, I prefer loafers just because, like, I don't know. I feel dr- the traditional tr- laces and dress shoes. It's just kind of bulky for me. <laughs> this, is, this is actually a funny story we're going to pivot away from baseball we're we're, div- we're divvying more into like the rich eisen territory of this podcast just going off on random tangents like years ago i'm in a wedding with a couple who we're no longer friendly with because the, this oh god this whole wedding was the worst um so uh i kind of like very nicely kind of give bambi eyes to the bride like hey traditional dress shoes hurt my feet i've got loafers that are the same color uh is it okay if i wear those she goes that's totally fine just wear the dress shoes for pick for like the formal pictures and that'll be fine great two days before the wedding i sprained my ankle just like taking a bad step somewhere so i had to wear like the loafers just by default she was so mad (laughs) like like how dare i sprain my ankle two days before the wedding how dare you go loafers instead of laced shoes i know right you weren't you weren't load managing before the wedding to get ready. Make sure Never. you're healthy. Never. I want. I. We do not load manage in this house. It's like <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. Oh god, I can't believe I defended Kawhi for all those years. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, like for so long, I would say I would I would take Kawhi over Steph Curry just in terms of building a team around. And yeah, that that take has not aged well. It wasn't a cr- the craziest take in the world, but but yeah, I think uh, it hasn't aged quite quite no. well. But hard to see that in the moment. Really, uh, Bryce, more raise highlights. <laughs> no, we don't need any raise highlights. No, I hate, oh God, I, I hate this team so much. It's just that week where you know Brandon Lau is is you know hitting like he's Babe Ruth, and then he'll go back to being a two thirty hitter and. Yandy, Yandy Diaz hits over 100 exit velocity for once. 
Wander Franco will injure his thigh or his mm. hand or whatever. Yeah. It is. Uh, let's talk about the bullpen. Clay Holmes actually looks in not just top form, but better than last year with the way that that demon sinker is moving. Yeah, I don't know how anyone can stand in against that. <clears throat> no way. It, yeah, like I was, I was explaining because we we had people over over the weekend, and um, one of them's a Mets fan. We were talking about just like like the grips and the mechanics and like the physics of Kodai saying his ghost fork, mm-hmm. and and then I was saying how with Clay Holmes, like this is a, this is a guy who throws a pitch that's ninety eight miles an hour. It ducks down like a sinker, but it comes at you at ninety eight miles per hour, moving like a slider. And then on top of that, he also throws a slider. Yeah. He's got uh, so much run on that sinker that it's just, I mean, I don't know how, how anybody can, can figure it out with, or how, I don't know how anyone can, can hit that without just spiking it into the ground, like, you know, right to the shortstop. Or right back to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, he, he's already said how he pretty much got tired last year and this year he's way more, he's way more prepared for, uh, the physical demands of a of a closer for the full season but i don't know i mean if clay he's let's just establish this he's gonna blow saves at some point right it's gonna happen like we say this about closers all the time these are guys who usually throw one to two pitches and on any given night only one of them's working and it's no different this year even though closing is shifting more towards soft contact and less towards strikeouts this is still going to be a problem because if you're giving up that hard contact instead of that soft contact, that's going to be it. That's not good. So I feel with Holmes, as long as Yankee fans prepare themselves for the fact that he is going to hit a bit of a slump, probably not nearly as bad as a role as Chapman did, but he's still going to have some bad games. He might, he might be in line for another all-star season. It's a little early still, but early signs are looking good. I'd say. And I feel like the closer is like, also too. It's like a curse for the Yankees closer that Mariano was so good because, yeah. you know, generations of Yankee fans are just always going to be, you know, always going to be spoiled by that, which, you know, I, I would defend Chapman a lot, you know, when he was not last year when he was, you know, kind of cooked, but, you know, back in the years uh, where he was, you know, a top closer, you know, people would, people would rip him every time he blows a save. And it's like, you know, guys, like, this is normal for baseball. Like closers don't close every game. They don't get every save. Like they make mistakes. They're, you know, that's why they're in the bullpen. You know, they're not a perfect pitcher. Like Mariano Rivera will never see anything like it again. No. Craig Kimbrell gave us hope for a little bit. (laughs) Well, he can't do, he can't do his thing anymore. Really. He doesn't have enough time. No. Although he he uh, seemed to be doing okay with the Phillies when he closed out that game mm-hmm. against us, true, true. Yeah, but I don't think he's like really done much since then. Speaking of the Phillies, they're losing right now. Oh yeah, the yeah. notoriously banged up Phillies. Who's even playing first base right now? Boom, Rice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're losing the Marlins eight to three. Luis Arias is a double away from the cycle, and he already has four hits. Uh, I sat him on my bench in fantasy tonight. Uh, was, not me. Was... He's he's starting for me every single day. He, you know, I'm, I'm my team. I need uh, I, I've got some decent decent batting average guys. So like, I haven't I haven't been putting him in as much because I need more uh more RBIs, home runs. But uh, might have to start might have to start slotting him in there every day. You, well, you kids, know, I, 
I took the kids in your fantasy baseball. Malcastle. Like I did. Uh, I went with Cabrera in my utility spot instead of Arise, which Cabrera, you know, he had RBI runs, uh, not bad, but uh, Malcastle yeah. has two home runs and nine RBIs today. Not there to bring up the not to bring up the fantasy baseball party, but I just saw that uh, everyone in the Yankee lineup had a hit today. Oh, look at that! Yeah, I think three or four guys had two hits too. Rizzo, DJ, yeah, no, they everybody yeah. was. Everybody was mashing today. It was great. You love to see it. And then tomorrow you go for the rubber game with Clark Schmidt on the mound, and Cleveland's probably doing the bull, doing a bullpen game too. It looked like it was some rookie who's maybe making his debut. It didn't. Uh, uh, yeah, because because uh, Savale just went down. Yep. Hopefully, get two out of three there. Then you got four against Minnesota. That yeah and then. then then my boy comes to uh, New York. You going to go to any of those games? Uh, I was thinking about it, but not sure if I'm going to be able to make it out there. One of my buddies, it's like his birthday that, that week, so he was thinking about maybe going to one of them, but, uh, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, Thursday is weird like because that's on the 20th. They're doing a 4 o'clock game for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Oh, D- Danny, speaking of 420, you've got, you've got a funny uh, Nick story about this. Where uh, you were, at, weren't you on Zoom for the press conference and someone like shouted out something about weed on April twentieth? Yeah, at I think that was from the uh, the COVID year. Yeah, and uh, I'm almost yeah. That sounds very familiar. I forget who it was. Maybe no, not Dennis Smith Jr. I don't even think he was on the team anymore. The the way you made it sound, it sounded like quickly. It might have been quickly. It was because it that was when we were doing all Zoom. So yeah. you know, I'm I'm at home like this. You know, just listening and whoever like in the background you just you know maybe it was like obi toppin sitting in front of the camera or something and you just heard somebody in the background which uh yeah that was that was uh the weird zoom year but yeah i've got i've got some stories about the knicks locker room (laughs) yeah uh pretty much the way that story is capped apparently quickly just shouted at the top of his lungs where the weed at yeah yeah that it was something along (laughs) those lines and it was like you know, you could see everyone's face on Zoom. Everyone just starts laughing. And yeah. I mean, I couldn't see the PR guy like off to the side, but he I'm sure he uh I'm sure he gave a disapproving look. Not that yeah. not that the NBA cares about <laughs> weed anymore at all. Yeah, like, baseball too. Like yeah, I, I nobody tests for it anymore. It's it's I, uh, I, I had a Nick Zoom presser at or about that date when the Taj Gibson was sitting down. I forget whether he was talking talking to Burks or Derek Rose, but he just sat down. He's like, hey, guys. And then all of a sudden, he's just looking up, and then he just gives this demonic look on his face and then just goes, sixth man of the year. <laughs> and then and then just goes back to stone face. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, all right, yeah, all right, ask your questions. What's going on? That sounds about right. Yeah, all right. But you know what? To close out the show, Danny, put you on the spot. Nick's cabs. Who have you got and why? Oh. I'm I'm still working through it, but uh, put me on the spot. I'm gonna say Knicks in seven. All right, okay. I think Mitchell's the best player in the series, uh, and then Jared Allen and Mobley are really good players too. Yeah, but I think Brunson is a top-notch player who can go toe-to-toe with Mitchell. Yeah, and then obviously Mitchell Robinson's not gonna be a slouch inside. If Julius Randle can come back and be a little bit healthy. That obviously, you know, would be a huge, huge boost for the Knicks. Yeah. And then I just think 
stars win in the playoffs, but the Knicks have such a deep bench that it gives Tibbs so many options in these crunch time situations where he can go with Grimes because Grimes is knocking down his threes, or he can go with Hart because Hart can lock up Mitchell. Grimes or, is yeah. red hot too right now. Yeah, that Grimes is getting hot. Obviously, quickly, you know, is is ascending right now. Yeah. Uh, Obi Toppin, I don't know how much burn he's going to get if Randall's healthy, but mm-hmm. he's looked pretty strong down the stretch. I still trust RJ too. So I think just having that depth will in a long series like that will play out for the Knicks. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Grimes or Hart, you know, have a big game in a meaningful moment to kind of give the Knicks a little bit of an edge there. So um, maybe it's a little bit of a Homer pick, even though like, I'm not really, you know, a diehard Knicks fan or anything like that, but I think Knicks and seven um, that, yeah, I'm, I'll stick, I'll stick with my Knicks and seven pick right now. I was going to say Knicks and six, just because I think that as good as the Cavs are, and even if Randall either doesn't play or isn't at his best, I'm pretty sure Tom Thibodeau was an assistant on that Jeff Van Gundy team that knocked the heat out of the playoffs when the Knicks were the eight seed just from playing smaller. And I mm-hmm. figure with two big bodies like Jared Allen, like Evan Mobley up in the middle, even though Mobley plays a little more um, off of the perimeter outside the key, I think that if you get those smaller bodies like the Quickleys, like the Hearts, like the Grimes, stretch the floor a little bit while also playing top-notch wing defense, you could give the Cavs a run for their money. Like for even sure. even if they play the better game on paper, like you can sort of out hustle them. I mean, I think I think most of these games are going to be close, and yeah. you know, this next team more so than you know than past years even even two years ago where you know the Knicks were rolling Randall was a star this year you feel way more comfortable with them during crunch time just for the simple fact that Jalen Brunson is one of the most clutch players in the league he can get to his spots he can distribute for teammates they do have a couple shooters out there that you know he can dish out to Uh, I think I think just that will put him over the top and that's not to say that Donovan Mitchell can't be that same guy and, you know, kind of put the Cavs on his back. But I think it's a really, really close series, and I, I think the Knicks take it. Uh, I'm going to say seven still, but like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if they close it out at home at MSG. Yeah, I mean, I think that also, and we'll put we'll put a pin in this uh, with, the, with this final point. I think that also what you have to say about Brunson is that the, the Knicks against the Hawks two years ago, they the hype of the moment clearly caught up with them. They weren't ready for it. Maybe they were a little tired. Uh, but more importantly, they had Alfred Payton playing point guard, and then you had mm-hmm. Derek Rhodes' wobbly legs coming out. I think that in Brunson, he's not just a clutch player. He's kind of got that calming, soothing presence. He was he's a leader. Mm-hmm. And like Mar- Mark Cuban can say what he wants about, oh, like once Rick got involved, everything went south. No, no, no. no. Like just like Garrett Cole was always going to the Yankees, Jalen Brunson was always going to the Knicks. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that because he knows what his job is. He knows that he's there to lead and that he's managed to coexist with Randall, with Barrett and Hart being there just to give, just to help spell Grimes has done wonders for that rotation. I think that, you know, like six, like six or seven games, just because Donovan Mitchell is really, really good. So is Darius Garland, but I don't know. I feel, I, I feel, him early. yeah, but I feel, I feel that like the, the Knicks can out hustle Cleveland and it'll tire them out and they'll get eliminated in the second round. But just to have that for the fan base, it's going to be great. Not just for the Knicks, but for the town, for the city. Agreed. Agreed. And I don't yeah. think, uh, 
I don't think Brooklyn's going to be doing much for uh, for the city because I, I think that's that series going to be over quick. But then again, I don't think really too many people care if the Nets if the Nets get bounced. Maybe a few people here in uh, in Jersey do, but that's about yeah, it. It's, it's just the Nets. Yeah, second just class citizens, little brother. <laughs> All right, Alec, you got uh, you want to do some Rangers talk real fast, just sort of like give your plea ahead of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, what what I think the Rangers can win in six against the Devils. Against the Devils, I think they can. Now, my biggest concern starts with Jack Hughes. Yeah. Jack Hughes is like he's he's venturing on the territory of game changer, like like a yeah. game breaker. Um, but my bigger concern is the rain, like the coaching staffs and the systems in place for both teams going forward in, in a seven game series, the Rangers know the devils have a lot of speed. That's their MO. They're going to just go full throttle attack and the Rangers are going to have to find a way to take that space away from them. Now the Rangers are bigger. The Rangers are more experienced. And I personally do. And the Rangers have by far the edge in goaltending. Because yes. mm-hmm. yeah, so it might plus, plus, it plus might, Jacob Drew is going to send at least one guy to the hospital. Yes, you know, you hope that it gets that. That's how the Rangers are going to neutralize the speed the Devils have. Is he, they're going to have to play physical? They're going to have to get in the face of their stars. They're you know guys like Jesper Bratt and and you know Jack Hughes. You know, I know the Devils address it with getting Timo Meyer, but that you know he doesn't scare me as much as the other guys. Um, but also, you know, the Rangers are, I think, deeper because, you know, you got a first line of Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, and Patrick Kane. Yeah. And you got a second line of Trocek and Panarin and Tarasenko. And then you have the kid line. And then you have arguably what might be the best fourth line in hockey. Like, the Rangers have four lines that are going to bang bodies, get pucks deep, and uh, put them in the net. So now more more importantly, is the beard gonna go untouched from now until the end of the playoffs? No, no, I got I gotta do something about this. this no, is, come on. This is getting out of control, dude. I look at oh, it every oh, day. Like, it's, it's, it's not like full Tormund Giants Bane. Well, you, you want me not to touch it to the end of the playoffs, it will be full Tormund Giants Bane. <laughs> maybe maybe just like a trim before the, the playoffs. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe get a little scissors, just you yeah. know. Buy yourself a time just in case they, they go for for the cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, they made it to the Stanley or the, to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. It was evident that they got very tired and it allowed Tampa Bay's experience to really take over after Game Two. Yeah, but you know, the Rangers are going in as the more experienced team than than the Devils. And if you've kind of been following up on some of the articles coming out surrounding the team, especially from Vince Mercogliano of Lohud. Um, they're hungry. They've, you know, they've had their eyes sets on the playoffs for the last two weeks, and they're pretty much just only getting their cardio in during games for like since then. Uh, and they're still like, you know, blowing teams out of the water. And then if they're not, they're getting a point in overtime in, in shootouts. So, you know, the kids are hungry. You know, Heedle, Lafreniere, and Kako are going to be yeah. monsters again. Um, and I think that. A guy to watch for the Rangers is going to be Tarasenko. Dude's we're really cup. excited about that trade. Yeah, the dude has won a cup with the Blues. He is a historically big time. Like the thing with Tarasenko and Kane, 
they have done it before and they're always big time players. So this version of Kane doesn't need to be showtime that he was in Chicago. He just needs to be, you know, 70% of that and everything else is going to fall into place with Tarasenko being, you know, it's just that Tarasenko plays such a playoff style game, which uses his frame. He's strong as hell. He has an absolute lethal shot. And then he has a little bit of playmaking abilities. So if he wants to get physical, he's going to get physical. You got Chris Kreider, who's been there, done that. The dude, and, you know, the dude's a gamer. So is Mika Zibanejad. And Artemi Panarin can break a game open at any moment. So, you know, I want to I want to say the Rangers in six. And, you know, it's up to, personally, in my opinion, Gerard Gallant and the coaching staff to make sure that they give their team, you know, every opportunity to succeed. I'm going to say and, Devils in seven just because every time I talk shit about the Rangers, they do well. So Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I was just going to add in there, too. It's like basically the Rangers have seven home games in this series because, you know, no no offense to Devils fans. Like they're a good good fan base, but they're tiny. And you got to oh, imagine offense. Rangers. You got to imagine the Rangers are going to have a ton of a ton of blue in that uh, in the rock. So I hope um, so. Um, that that's been the glory, you know, because right now the Devils and the Hurricanes are are battling out for the Metropolitan mm-hmm. um, lead, because uh, the Devils are like a point behind the Hurricanes and the Rangers are a point behind the Devils. So the Rangers are pretty much ensconced at the third spot in the Metro. So it's just a matter of who are they going to play, New Jersey or Carolina. It's going to look like it's going to be New Jersey, but either way. Regarding, we saw it last year when they played Carolina in the second round. It doesn't matter. They Ranger fans took over. Mm-hmm, that's true. I remember that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that is the that is the beautiful thing about it. Is like you know, home ice advantage doesn't really matter for the Rangers because either scenario they're going to be playing in front of a big Ranger crowd. Yeah, Rangers fans travel really well. Really, especially, well. especially the last few years. We can't fucking afford the MSG deck. <laughs> we cannot. <laughs> I had to pay like hundred and six. I had to pay my friend one hundred and six dollars just to go to rain. Go, go to Nick's Rockets the other day. Yeah, yeah. Hotel room, flight, like all that stuff is cheaper than uh, than just going MSG. Yep. Okay, we're gonna do a whole other episode about how MSG needs to be cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> Although right. it is, it is the best arena in New York. So. Oh like, yeah. I, yeah, I, I wish it was I, a little cheaper, but let's be careful I what we been... say. I don't want to be blacklisted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I haven't yeah. been to. Been don't to listen the... to this, James Nolan. I, <laughs> I haven't been to the one uh, out in Elmont yet, uh, UBS. I have not either. That's on my list. I got to gotta check that off soon. Yeah. Bar- Barclays is just terrible on so many levels. All right. And my cat is now in the printer telling me it's time to feed her. All right. <laughs> All right, uh, so thanks for listening, folks. We will be back next week, and hopefully the Yankees do not break our hearts uh, so much then. Same with the Knicks and the Rangers. Uh, Danny, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, and uh, we will see you guys soon.